Thank you. Please take your seats. Somebody um, described what happened to Martin Luther in 1517, 500 years ago, like a man in, an El- in a church in an alpine village in the middle of the night in the bell tower. So you say, whatever do you mean by that? Well, Luther, over many years, as that little film showed, struggled to believe that God loved him and God would accept him. He, he did all kinds of works and things. As you know, he was a monk because he thought that would bring him closer to God. And just picture that man in the bell tower in the middle of the night and he's struggling and he's falling and he's trying to hold on to something. And as he's, he grabs out in, in, in the dark to hold on to something in his search for security... And what does he do? He pulls the bell. And in the middle of the night at two o'clock in the morning in the Alpine village, the whole village is woken by the ringing of the bell. That's what Luther did. Luther didn't intend to start the Reformation. He didn't intend that we would be celebrating what he did 500 years later. But God used it. God made sure that he got hold of that bell rope. God and that the light of what he discovered, the grace of God, that we're accepted by God through grace because of what Jesus has done and not because of what we do, that spread throughout Europe. And praise God, it came to our country here. And of course, Luther wasn't the only one. We had um, a very English Wycliffe who, who lived 100 years before Luther, and he was asking the same questions and saying the same things. He translated the Bible, as you may know, into English. And so we thank those reformers, some of them who gave their lives. Um, I've said this the other day at lunch club still, but I'm, I'm always moved when I go to Oxford and I have to look at Martyr's Memorial. I'm, I know it has a lot of, used to have a lot of drunk people around it, but it's still there. There's a little brass plaque in the street where Latimer and Ridley were burnt at the stake because they preached the gospel of grace and the established church didn't like that. And you know, they were there and um, Latimer, the older man, he'd been a bishop and a chaplain to King Edward VI. And he said to Ridley, he said, um, Fear not, Master Ridley, and play the man. This day we shall light such a candle in England that by God's grace will never go out. And... That's why we're here this morning. That's why we have salvation. I know Jesus gave us our salvation, but that's why we have the gospel preached freely in our land. That's why we can sing those wonderful songs, because men gave their lives, so the light came right down to our day. That really excites me, because the Reformation wasn't some one-off sort of happening today. And... um, I just want to read you um, Romans 5 and verse 20. Um, It's only a short bit, so perhaps you needn't turn to it. But um, where sin increased, grace increased 
all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And um, the note in my study Bible says of that verse, it says, the supply of grace is far greater than all the human capacity to sin. So, however much sin there is, however much we sin, there is always more of God's grace. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Now, of course, Paul, the writer to the Romans, goes on to say, in chapter 6, he says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Now, this is for Christians, by no means, because we are those who have died to sin. How can we live it any longer? You know, if you've been baptized, you died to sin. You died to your old life. So, I don't know what you're expecting this morning. Um, Oh, where's Dave? I've got these um, notes for you to go and hammer in the door somewhere, Dave. Where are you? There you are. Thank you. Um, uh, Luther's 95 Thesis. I'm not going to talk about his 95 Thesis. One of them, of course, one of the objections he had to the established church was, was the indulgences, where people paid money to get their relatives out of purgatory. Purgatory was a place that the church taught where you went and suffered before your unconfessed sins, before you went to heaven. And the Pope wanted to raise money to replace St. Peter's Balasica in Rome, and he had to raise some money, so they brought in indulgences. And the poor people had to put their hands in their pockets to help their relatives get out of purgatory. That's the kind of thing that um, Luther was up against. But I'm not going to... um, This isn't a history lesson, you'll be glad to know. This isn't a theological talk, you'll be glad to know. Um, as fond as I am of history and um, as much as I can try and understand theology, I'm actually going to tell you a story. Um, and uh, I, I, a few months ago when I was thinking about this, I just had a picture of a, of a courtroom. And around this courtroom, um, I've uh, just made a story which I'd like to read to you because I think it brings... It may be where you are this morning. You might be trying to approach God and yet you don't know how to do it. So I walked down the street towards the courthouse. There was very little traffic and I could hear the birds singing in the warm spring sunshine. I was a little worried about my summons to appear before a judge, but I could not recall having done anything very wrong recently, and so was sure there must have been a mistake. I reached the door of the courthouse, and I was just about to go in when I noticed a really unpleasant person leering at me from where he sat on a litter bin. He looked really horrible. So I turned away quickly and walked into the courtroom. It was empty except for the judge sitting at the far end reading some papers. I made my way into the dock and looked around. There were, as I expected, rows of chairs and also a very large 
television screen, and underneath, a DVD player. I looked towards the judge and saw he was reading a long list, and then I noticed my name was at the top. Underneath my name in large capitals were the letters S-I-N-S, which I realised fairly quickly spelt sins. The judge looked up. He seemed rather far away, very stern, in a word, quite scary. I began to feel worried. Surely I could not have done all those wrong things on his list. And anyhow, what right did this old chap have to tell me off? Furthermore, I thought to myself, whoever gets worried about sin now, that was something for the Middle Ages, which the church hierarchy dreamt up in ways to make the peasants go to church. I remember learning that they made the poor who could ill afford it pay indulgences for their relatives, supposedly to shorten their time in purgatory. No, this was not 1517, this was 2017. I would soon see this old buffer off. He put down the list and looked across at me. Wow, what a look. Seemed to go straight through me. My legs turned to jelly. I found myself kneeling and not able to look over the dock at this awesome figure. There did seem to be something in this sin business after all. But surely I had nothing to fear. I was British, middle class, and very law-abiding. No, he must have got someone else's list with my name on it. Perhaps that chap on the rubbish bin outside. Yeah, but of course, I wasn't really quite perfect. Yeah, I did exceed the 70 on the A31 sometimes. And, yeah, the other day I did make a fuss when my wife asked me to do some shopping. But generally, as people go, I was not a bad person. No, surely he would see I was sort of a good chap, really. His voice, stern and authoritative, spoke, and the words chilled me. He said... Do you realise that the penalty for your sin is death? I gripped the dock. The room swam before my eyes. I steadied myself. He turned back to the list to give me time to compose myself. I heard a tap on the window to my right. And I turned to look. There was a chap who had been on the litter bin. He was looking at me, snarling with delight at my predicament. I noticed that tattooed on his forehead was the word accuser. I turned back to face the judge, and as I looked at him, I knew it was no good to argue. I heaved a sigh and thought my only hope was to use my reputation as a wheeler dealer. I would do a deal with him, hopefully on my terms, to save my life. I heard him say these sins of mine were very serious, and as he read them out, the list seemed never-ending. Words rolled off his tongue, words like pride, self-reliance, looking after number one, lust, jealousy, unjustified anger, harsh words, things I wish I'd never said, and then a whole list of situations that I'd handled badly. He went on with others, which I thought were pretty minor, Miss Medina's, and of course, lies which I thought had been small, but sounded much more serious when he read them out. Then he said that, sadly, I'd been a sinner from the day I was born. This was apparently caused by one of my ancestors called Adam, who had been disobedient and caused the whole human race to sin. 
I looked at the judge and I thought there must be something I could do to save myself. Yes, I know, I will ask him for another chance. Please, Your Honour, I stammered. Please, give me another chance. I will go and I will lead a life without sinning to prove to you I am a good person. Our eyes met for a brief moment and momentarily I am sure I saw sadness in his as he looked at me. He said quietly, that will not work. I had a man here yesterday who would not listen and went away to earn his forgiveness and escape his sentence by not sinning. He only got a hundred yards up the road when coming the other way was a young lady rather scantily dressed. He could not stop looking at her and his mind was filled with all sorts of lustful thoughts. I then thought about the money in my Swiss bank account. Surely if I offered the judge a third or even half of it, he would let me off, and I would have plenty of left for myself. He must have known what I was thinking, because he looked directly at me and he said, if you had all the money in the world, it could not buy you eternal life. Then he said, I'm the only one who can pay your fixed penalty fine. Oh, I really felt angry. How can you do it, I shouted. I don't need your help. I've plenty of money, and basically I'm a good person. You have nothing on me at all. I turned and looked towards the door, and then faced him again. I've had enough of this, I told him, and started to walk towards the doorway. It was slightly open, and I saw the person with accuser on his forehead beckoning me. His snarl was replaced by a broad but very sinister smile. I hesitated. Something made me think, I don't want to go this way. I turned towards the judge and I took some very deliberate steps. Come closer, he said. And as I did, I noticed he looked very different close up. There was a softness about his face and kindness and love shone from his eyes. I can pay your debt, he said, because 2,000 years ago, my son pulled off a really big job. What did he do, I asked, so long ago that he can help me today? He reached out his hand, switched on the TV and then the DVD player. The screen flickered a few times. And then there was a picture of a Middle Eastern city, probably Jerusalem. It was a warm afternoon. The dust swirled and a crowd shouted. A centurion led a group of what I recognized from my history books as soldiers of the Roman Empire, carrying out crowd control. Then some more appeared dragging a terribly beaten and disfigured man, almost unrecognizable. <coughs> as a human being. He was attempting to carry a rough wooden cross. He stumbled and nearly fell, but was pushed and kicked up a stony hill. His pain and humiliation was excruciating to watch. I had to avert my eyes for a moment, so I turned to the judge and said, which is your son, the centurion? He replied with a trembling voice, no, my son is the man they are nailing to the cross. I turned to look again, 
and thought this is worse than a horror movie. His battered, mutilated and naked body was being nailed to the cross. I could hear him groan and see him wince as the nails were driven through his hands and feet. But amazingly, he did not shout abuse or curse his executioners. The only words I thought I heard him say were something about, Father, please forgive them. I watched, transfixed as he died, and then to the judge, turned to the judge and I said, why did they do that to him? <clears throat> what had he done? With a faraway look and tears in his eyes, the judge replied, nothing. He was perfect. But he was paying the price for your sin. I said, that is incredible. I wish I could have thanked him. But you say he's been dead for 2,000 years. No, said the judge. He came back from the dead and you can meet him. He wants to be your friend. I felt completely overwhelmed and slumped to the floor and closed my eyes and thought my selfish, my self, of my selfish life that I had lived just for myself. My money and possessions appeared as piles of rubbish compared with what this man had done for me. I knelt in front of the judge. I looked up at him and I said, I'm sorry for my sins, especially my pride and arrogance and always thinking of myself. I'm sorry too for having walked away from you and want to say thank you for pulling me back. I do not deserve any of your generosity. There must be something I have to do to make you love me more and earn your full acceptance. I'll read that again. I said to him, there must be something I have to do to make you love me more and earn your full acceptance. He replied, no, nothing. I demonstrated how much I loved you by giving you my only son to die on the cross. I looked at him full in the face and I said, I still cannot believe you've done all this for me and there is nothing left for me to do. Sit down, he said, and listen. Have you ever read the Bible? Not really, I said. Well, he went on. The Bible calls what has happened to you justification by faith. You believe that my son died for you and rose again, and that means that your sins are forgiven. I said, really, as simple as that? Yes, he said. And as he was talking, he tore up the paper with all my sins on it. And he tore it much smaller than any shredder I've seen shred paper. And then he got up and he went to the window behind his seat and he, he flung the bits of paper out the window. I crossed to the window and looked out and saw the pieces of paper drip, drift into a vast and empty space. There was nothing as far as I could see. Far away in the west, the sun was shining, setting. I looked the other way toward the east. No one can measure that distance, he said. No one will find any of those sins again. Are they really gone forever, I said. Even that really big thing I did that I'd forgotten about. What big thing, he said. What big thing? I can't remember any of your sins. I looked up at him. Your Honour, I said, he interrupted me and kindly said, 
Don't ever call me that again. Just call me dad. I looked at him. Gone were the trappings of the judge. There instead was the tenderness of a father who I knew loved me. I was completely overwhelmed and a warm glow engulfed me from the top of my head to my toes. I stood up. This is incredible. Just unbelievably amazing, I cried. The Bible calls it grace, he said. I like that, I replied. Amazing grace. I could write a song about your amazing grace. He smiled and said, actually a man called John Newton had already done that 200 years ago. But please write another. The world can never have enough songs about my grace. Then he said, I want to give you your first Bible study with some history thrown in. He continued, it's important to read the whole Bible, but first study the Gospels about the life and death of my son on earth, and then read the books of Romans and Galatians, also in the New Testament. Romans 1.17 says, the just will live by faith. Galatians 2.16 says, we have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. Titus 3.7 states we are justified. Justified, do you know what justified means? It means that God looks upon us as though we'd never ever sinned, we'd never ever done anything wrong, we'd never messed up. Justified by his grace. He went on, Martin Luther and the great reformers of the 15th and 16th centuries discovered and preached this wonderful truth that the church had ignored and their preaching set Europe ablaze with the gospel. Some of them gave their lives in defense of this wonderful truth. This is wonderful, Father, I said. I hope I will never sin again. He was silent for a moment and he said, You will. Every believer sins from time to time, some more than others. But he says, read 1 John 2.1. It says, do not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous. You will still need my grace every day because you will still get things wrong. You will feel that you should have done better. And wonder if I love you as much as you thought I did when you first met me. But my grace and love for you will never change. He went on, rely on my Holy Spirit, who Jesus said will lead you into all the truth. Shall we pray? Father God, we, we just thank you that what we've talked about What we've celebrated this morning is not a fairy tale. It's not any kind of tale or story. It is the truth. Jesus said that he was the way, the life, and the truth. And Father, we realize how badly our world needs truth. And we thank you for the truth of your word, the truth of the gospel, that Jesus died and suffered for our sins and rose again, and one day he's coming back for all those who love him. We thank you, Father God, for that wonderful truth. And Father, just pray that by your Holy Spirit, you will move among us here now 
you will just uh, challenge our hearts. Father, if you've spoken to us, if you're speaking to us this morning, help us to respond to you. You may be sitting here this morning. It might be the first time you've heard the story of God and Jesus quite so clearly. You might be thinking, I don't know, can I believe that? You might have heard it before, but you might have, you might have rejected it. You might have said, no, I don't believe it. No, I'm not sure. Yeah, there might be something in it. They seem quite happy, those Christians, but I'm not going to do anything at the moment. God's speaking to you this morning. God wants to come and live in your heart by his Holy Spirit. The God who created the world, the God who one day will judge the world, wants a personal relationship with you. Can I ask you, you may be a Christian like me, and I have to ask myself, how good is my personal relationship with Jesus? He's saying this morning that he wants a closer relationship with you. He wants you to love him more and trust him more because he loves you so much. And what about, what about those of us who are Christians this morning? You might say, well, because I've heard all that before. Actually, I've heard it for the last 70 years. You know, I just feel this morning that the challenge for us as Christians is, do we really, really get excited about this gospel? The gospel is the most wonderful thing that there is. And you know, I'll, I'll be quite personal here. I, the gospel excites me. I love it. But do I find it difficult to share it with people? I so badly want to. And when I get the opportunity, I love taking it. But I don't take the opportunities that I should do. And my neighbours, my friends, they need the gospel. Your neighbours and friends need the gospel. And I pray for you this morning. I pray, Lord, that those of us, that those of us in this church who know you, Lord, that you will excite us with the gospel. We pray that the gospel, the wonder of what you've done, may just be the most important thing in our lives. We know that we, we don't like being rejected. That's probably why we don't tell people when we should do. But Lord, stir something in us this morning, because there's nothing else that is worthwhile in this world. However good our jobs or homes or anything we might have, nothing is, it's all worthless. It's all piles of rubbish compared with knowing Jesus Christ. And so stir us, Lord. You just respond to the Lord in your heart this morning, as I'm doing here, that you want to be stirred. I tell you what, if you're struggling to share the gospel, that's one thing the Holy Spirit does. You come on Tuesday the 21st and receive the greater power of the Holy Spirit to share the gospel. So Lord, we thank you we thank you. And just, just one last thing I want to do before I finish. If you could all bow your heads. I just want to ask that if there's anybody here this morning that does want to, would like to receive Jesus and have their sins forgiven, 
I would ask you just to look up at me. Because it's a wonderful opportunity to receive Jesus, receive the gospel. Thank you. Thank you. Lord, go with us, we pray. We love you. And just, Lord, it's been a good morning. and We just pray that you will work in each one of our hearts. Lord, we do ask you in your name. Amen.